0: I am Kayla, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm really glad to be here with you this morning leading your session about how we can have real hope for hard conversations. I want to first share a story with you, um, a story where my hope was low, but my frustrations were high. Everyone remembers the summer that happened a few years ago. It was a volatile summer, and I'm not speaking just of the number of casualties that happened, that added fuel to the fire, but I'm more so talking about the vile, the volatile nature in which we talk to one another. For a while, I thought those conversations were happening outside of the church about race and racism. Um, But in fact, it was running rampant within the church. I remember sharing a a statistic or a post about white supremacy Um, and racism in America on my Instagram page in an effort to draw attention to what I and other people were experiencing and seeing in this world. Naturally, I had someone jump into my DMs, not only to tell me that I was wrong and that my experience was invalid because they knew of another black person that didn't experience the same thing that I experienced. Um, But to top it all off, I was apparently single-handedly doing the devil's work shocked from that statement i moved into a mini tirade about how she was dead wrong i did not respond to her will um, by any means and i left that conversation feeling stunned and saddened and pretty upset and pretty unsure what to do next i felt hopeless because i tried really hard to rightly handle this conversation and it went so wrong I was not equipped on how to talk about it or even how to begin having this conversation. And I had no idea how to lead this person in how to have this conversation as well. And so maybe you felt similarly when talking about race or just talking about hard things in general, that maybe you've lost hope in your conversations and especially in this climate in the world. And I wanna even just take a second to realize and recognize the demographic in this room or those listening to the recording, all of us, have likely have had some conversations about race and racism. And it's likely a very hard topic, depending on what context you come from. And so I want to pray for us and then we're going to jump in to the meat and the bones of this talk. So dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the work that you have done in our hearts and minds and understanding that we are made in the image of God. Lord, I pray that this talk really helps us to see how we are created in the image of God, how we Deserve value, dignity, and respect, and how to enter into these conversations well—not just to have a good conversation, Lord, but to image the gospel and to give hope in the gospel. Then, so, Lord, I pray that You'll bless this time, bless these words, Lord. You name, I pray. Amen. So, in this talk, it's very largely based on the book. It's pretty much all of it, really. It's talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations by Isaac Adam. I have three free copies that you guys are like can can take. Please don't fight over them, but you're welcome to have them. It's really great. It's also a really cheap book on Amazon if you want it, and I'd be happy to buy you a copy if that's also what you need and want. Um, So in this talk, we're going to talk about how and why we lose hope. We're going to talk about how we can engage well, and we're going to look at a couple case studies um, about hard conversations that have happened. And then we're going to talk about how the task of just talking about race can really feel overwhelming and what we can do to kind of solve that. And I'm going to give some practicals about how we can endure well in talking about race. So first, we can hop into our first point. It's in on your outline. I forget what page it's on. Um, But why we lose hope. We lose hope because when we are in conflict and aren't seeking proper restoration, it can feel really hard and feel really hopeless to have conversations. It can kind of feel like a massive tug of war game that literally never ends, and that I don't know about you, it would feel exhausting and feel extremely tiring and feel extremely hopeless. And so instead of playing this massive game of tug of war that will never end, I want to equip us to play the long game. But more than that, I want to equip us to learn how to image Christ in our conversations about race and have gospel hope. So how do we speak in these conversations? We speak out of love. We speak out of love um, because God has loved us first. Our response shouldn't be why bother because Christians should bother to talk about race across colored lines because love compels us love for sharing the gospel, love for sharing the good news and love for sharing or for loving our neighbors. This isn't a controversial point, right? Love. Christians love, or at least we should. The trouble is when it comes to talking about race across color lines, we sometimes disagree on the best way to talk about race and how to express that love. So for example, some Christians avoid cross-color conversations about race, not despite their love for others, but because of it. And some Christians legitimately see cross-color conversations as a distraction from the most important neglected work of loving the oppressed. And others may have had hard conversations in the past that make it quite seem futile. And some see this as a way to make race a problem where it's not a problem. And so we can see that there are so many ways in which people are approaching these conversations. And I think there are at least three minimum ways in which we can engage well in conversations. And so one of the reasons why we engage well, it's because we engage out of love for our God and for his glory. When we speak up for those who cannot speak speak for themselves, God is glorified. You can see the verse on the packet, Proverbs 31, Eight. I forgot my packet, so I can't actually read the verse right now. But that's okay. <laughs> um, when we bear with and forgive one another, God is glorified. We can see that in Colossians three, verse thirteen. So, as far as our conversations about race help us to maintain and display the blood-bought unity in Christ, God is glorified. So, as far as our conversations about race help us to maintain and display the blood-bought unity. In Christ, God is glorified. As Christians, we don't seek to be glory thieves, but glory givers to our God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 asks, is Christ divided? No, he's not. So if our conversations about race aim to glorify God, that will help us to motivate and to endure in these seasons and in these discussions. If we talk about race because it's trendy, we're not going to last when trials come. We will be driven and tossed by the wind, but if we talk about race um, because we believe it matters and we believe that we can glorify God in it, we'll press on despite the challenge or the blessings, the slander or the praise or the resistance, um, or repentance that comes. And so the second reason we should engage well is out of love for our neighbors and for their relief. The second commandment is like the first, to love those who bear God's image. Conversations about race can educate us on the way that we can better love our neighbors. In this sense, these conversations offer yet another way for us to stir one another up in love and good works, as Hebrews 10, 24 talks about. I raise up this point because in these conversations, it can get pretty easy for us to get distracted. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan in which the religious leaders and the religious peoples are walking past the broken man on the road. Now imagine if they intended to stop and to help this man, but first they argued with one another about why the man needed help. The priest says, well, I think his suffering is his fault. And the Levite responds, well, I think the system really beat him down. And back and forth they go, all while the broken man is laying on the street, dying, saying, hey guys, I'm over here bleeding. Can you help me? Though we may be having a fruitful debate in our discussions and what's going on, We should realize that while we're debating, our neighbors might very well be suffering on the side of the road and bleeding. And in the midst of our arguments about it, we have not actually been a help. So in other words, our neighbors are not mere conversation points. They are real people to love. Racial discussions shouldn't become distractions from helping our neighbors. They should be meant for us to love them better and learn how to love them better. So when you can ask three questions to kind of produce more fruitful and specific conversations, you can ask the question, what happened? Was it right? And what should we do about it? If anything, these are how we can move conversations forward. The third reasons why we should engage in conversation is because it's out of love for our brothers and sisters and for their holiness. We as Christians we're called to lead and are supposed to help point out blind spots in one and others. The topic of race—it's not exempt from this. Now, with that said, sometimes the topic of race can be extremely zealous, to the point where we point out all the blind spots. And if we aren't careful, our zeal won't just be off-putting; it'll be uncha- it'll be also uncharitable. Friends, there's a simple test to know whether our zeal in confronting racial blind spots is our own sin or if it's from God. When considering your zeal, ask yourself three questions. Does what you're saying and what you're trying to communicate contain more wrath than love? Does it disgrace your brother more than it cures him? Does it divide more than it heals? And if the answer to any of these questions is yes, your zeal might just be from sin. As you consider admonishing your brother or sister about race, here are a few questions you can ask yourself and ask your heart. Do I need to give this brother or sister this admonishment Or can this relationship continue unaffected if I don't? Do I need to love this brother or do I need to give this brother or sister admonishment right now? And does this admonishment or does this conversation hug this person harder than I hit them? I obviously don't mean physically. But I do encourage you um, that there are people who are going to disagree with you. um, And... They're for the good points that you're making. Um, And so be careful as you criticize and as they criticize. Um, And a general rule of thumb is just try and hug them harder with your words than you hit them and as you respond to them. Um, Because hugging heals and hitting divides and divisions do matter and it's not as helpful. So when we talk about racial issues, we have the opportunity to be ministers of hope. God has spoken about these matters, so that means we can speak about these matters. Are we gonna talk about these matters perfectly? No, no one is perfect in what they say, but we can speak sincerely, we can speak faithfully, and we don't have to just choose between having hard conversations and pursuing justice. We can have hard conversations as a means in which we pursue justice. And so we're now gonna jump into small groups for a little bit. Um, obviously our group is already pretty small. I have um, a couple of case studies it kind of like sets the scene of um, just hard conversations that happen in the midst of race. There are these five stories that this book shares um, that I feel like will probably feel like, you know, these people. As I was reading, I'm like, man, I totally I totally know what this feels like. Don't worry about that. So I'm going to have the three of you guys if you can. These are all to one. Page. Yeah. So he can hand that paper to him. Um, yeah. So the three of you guys be in a group i'll have the four of you you could pass this be in a group and you can have just like brief discussion about what you see that's a great question the book never answers if it is but the book never also like fully talks about how it's solved and if it is and so eight your discussions read it see what's happening um And then just talk about how you might respond. I'll give you guys like 10, 15 minutes to do that. And then I'll bring us back together for a second point. Okay. So did any of you notice kind of how awkward and really hard and depending on the story that you had, just extremely devastating that they had. All three of you guys are reading different stories. I think some of you are reading um, the story of potentially Jackson, who is the son of this guy, Darius, who was just racially profiled which we saw in this group over here but Jackson's trying to figure out how to interact and explain to his friend why he couldn't come to his birthday party and shoot guns in the backyard and the racial implication as to why his dad did not want him to go there um and which one did I give to you I kind of forget Hunter yes Hunter who wants to really love his friend Darius but Hunter's really blind and does not know what's going on and doesn't know how to talk about it well and feels invalidated because he's white and doesn't know how to enter in and feel shut down. But it's like, well, I might have really good ideas, to, things to share. It's, it's all messy and it's all hard. And I had us all read that because, I don't know about you, but as I was reading some of these stories, I'm like, wow, I've been here, or I have a friend who is like this, or I have seen this experience play out other ways, whether it's on social media, just in real life or whatever. These conversations are hard, and you might ask, why are these conversations so hard? Like, what do we do? And so we're often hard because we're overwhelmed by the task. And that's our second point on that line. It's hard because we sin and we're sinners. And that's the, find it, that's the foundational answer as to why these conversations about race are hard. This is James's answer. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? So sin is the reason it's hard to talk about race. But that's a really unsatisfying answer, isn't it? <laughs> like you, already, you probably already know that the answer is sin. And you already know that the, um, the reason why it's hard to pursue people sometimes is because of sin. But even more than that, sin doesn't completely and exactly answer the question well as to why race, as opposed to other topics, are so hard for Christians to talk about. After all, Christians talk about a lot of things in this world with far less difficulty than race. But trust me, we're not going to stay here. We're not going to just stay on the surface level and just say the problem is sin. We're going to dive deeper into this because there are a few other reasons as to why these conversations are hard to talk about. First, race and racism are often broad topics. In some ways, this topic is a Velcro issue because so many aspects of life stick to it. Politics, housing, economics, education, or other aspects of life. I can think of a story my grandma told me about segregation in her experience. She told me about on a hot summer day, all she wanted was a drink, but she couldn't drink of the water fountain and the neighborhood that she was in because she had the wrong skin color. Racism had not just reached her housing, it had reached her health experience, all in one shot. And I'm sure there are many other ways in which it reached her aside from that moment so given the vast topic or the vastness of the topic of race um, oftentimes our conversations about it are hard because we don't know where to begin and we certainly don't have the competency to speak on every topic so what we can do is just focus on one argument at a time and in a conversation so we'll make much more progress and we'll be able to have listen more responsibility responsibly excuse me and have more common ground when we slow down and we narrow down our topics when we talk about it second is race and racism are complex topics continue the I- or consider the idea of race for a moment when it comes to race what exactly are we talking about are we talking about it in reality are we talking about it in fiction are we talking about it as a biological fiction or a social fact how many races are there this answer and the questions to the answers have changed and how and what does scripture have to say about these questions have christians always understood the and shared a same understanding of what this means now consider racism christians agree that racism is a sin but what that sin is particularly is how and how it clearly manifests and the extent to which it runs through society and who perpetuates it, like that's all a different story, isn't it? When we're dealing with racism, we're not just dealing with sin, we're dealing with the ideas and the cultures that have been molded and morphed over time. We're dealing with the implications of other convictions that we hold. And think about what your church's mission is. Depending on what it is, that will change what you think and how you think the church should respond to racism. So what we do so what do we do we can study we can read we can learn we can ask the hard questions that and those questions will take a lot of work as we seek to answer them we can't just settle to disagree or agree to disagree on these important discussions this work will require that we open up our books we open up our bibles and we truly are willing to do the work the third reason why race is hard and racism are painful topics or because it's painful topics, excuse me. It's one thing to be a subject, it's one thing for a subject to be complicated. Take the Trinity, for instance. It's complex, it's mysterious, and it's one that deeply, probably more than anything, bears a massive weight on our experience in our life. Not a heavy weight, this is a good weight. <clears throat> it's an issue that's not talked about with half as much angst as a race. No doubt the early church had painful conversations about the Trinity, but while those conversations are still relevant and the, the pain of them is very largely removed from our context today, after all, no people in recent memory have been enslaved because of their view on the Trinity. At least in the history of America, no civil wars have been incited over the beliefs about God's triune nature. No one has been redlined by the federal housing market for being Unitarian. That's not the case there. But when it comes to race... We're dealing with matters many people understand to touch on the core of their identities. So these matters are personal. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters um, people see in the faces of their children, matters that are cherished. And so when it comes to race, we're dealing um, with matters that many people understand to have financially picked their pockets. So these matters are costly when it comes to race. We're dealing with matters Christians understand themselves to still suffer from today. And so these matters are still relevant. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters that stir up raw memories of rejection and indignity and violence. And so these matters are tender. They're painful and because of that, they make our conversations weighty and hard. And sometimes for those of us who are in pain, we speak out in that pain and we lash out and we might exaggerate and we might just just share the reality of what's happening. So what can we do? Well, in these moments when we're feeling pain and angst and anguish, we can remember and we can forgive. We can remember that it's possible to be angry and not sin. In other words, sometimes it's totally okay to be angry, and sometimes that is completely and totally right, and we should be. Remember, however, that revenge belongs to God. And remember that he didn't take his vengeance out on you when he would have been right to do so. So reflecting on God's mercy when we feel anger allows us to help send it to the cross of Christ. Fourth, race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. We all come to the table with vastly different experiences. Some have been talking about race in a detached manner. For this person, racism is, an engaged, is engaged as an idea and not an experience. What, sorry, and what do we do with these ideas? when you've not experienced them. We evaluate them, we test them, we think about them in abstract ways by poking them and prodding them and evaluating the truthfulness of these claims um, that we previously understood to be true. This might be fine in some sense if we were talking to people who likewise have known race as an idea rather than an experience. However, when speaking with someone who has been on the receiving end of racism, speaking in such a theoretical, very educational matter can often be unhelpful. It grieves not only your listener, but it also frustrates the conversation. As you've considered, um, as we've just considered, there are many folks who think racism, sorry, many folks think of racism, they're not thinking in abstractions. They're thinking about things that happen to them and thinking about things that have happened to the people that they have loved. Racism isn't just a mental exercise for taking notes and for talking points. It's an experience that they don't have the luxury of dodging. So what can we do? We can localize our experience. Frankly, the temptation to speak about race abstractly is a greater temptation for many white brothers and sisters. One simple thing you can do is to be aware of what we've just described. Do not universalize your experience Rather, recognize that someone else might have a very real and a very different experience than your own. One that you should appreciate and see as worthy of great sorrow, not just an educational practice and exercise. So the last point here, I think, yes. <laughs> How can we talk about race across color lines? Where is our hope? You're totally okay. Go for it. <laughs> Take, make as much noise as you want. I don't mind. Um, I'll never, i going to share a story with you. I'll never forget that truck. I was driving on the highway and happened to pull up behind it. Penned on the back of a weathered neon orange sign was a construction sign that read, um, vehicles, like this vehicle is not responsible for any damage if followed. And I thought to myself, how fair is that? This car, this truck kind of gets to drive without worrying about what comes next. And then as I was sitting self-righteously behind the steering wheel, I realized something, that this truck is a pretty good picture of my mouth. I wonder if you might say the same. I fear sometimes that our conversations about race, um, we're like a construction truck. We mean to be building something and to be doing good work, but we're plowing through conversation as if we're not responsible for any of the damage that follows. In this talk we have learned how to speak more helpfully about race. And if our last point is about practical help, this one is more much more um a posture of how of what would be helpful as we embrace these conversations. And so, how do we steer these conversations about uh, about race? First, we should steer our conversations biblically. This feels probably like a very obvious answer here. Romans 12:2 Um, is printed on your outline, and this helps us. I'm sorry I don't have it to read it, but it's really helpful. (laughs) Scripture, not only, not our own political parties and the latest New York Times bestseller, Scripture is our first and our final authority on these matters of race. One reason talking about race is difficult is because the issue is often a political football, and sometimes we side with our base rather than relying on our Bibles. This ought not to be so, and... So we should, above all, speak biblically about race across color lines, and this point has three implications. First, it reminds us that we um, we're not just out to have conversations, but conversations according to God's word. It's tempting to think that our unity is the goal, but if we want unity in the, but we want unity in the truth, not uniformity. Second, because the Bible doesn't speak exhaustively on every issue, there isn't a straight line in the scriptures that to each of our conclusions about race and racism. So this means that we must be charitable with other believers who see complex issues differently than us. Third, we speak about these things biblically because if evangelicals give greater weight to the Bible in our conversations about race, we will use biblical language in our conversation. As much as we can, let us define that language and this won't solve every problem, but it will help us to find more common ground when we talk about racism. Second, we should talk about race humbly. You may not have it all figured out when it comes to talking about race. I definitely don't. But there is one thing that we can have, and this will change how we speak, how we listen, and how we love, and that really is humility. Christians should speak humbly about racial matters. As you can see in your packet for Philippians 2-4 goes right with this, this section. It offers great instruction on how to be humble, counting others more significant than yourself, not looking to the needs in your own interests but to the interests of others. This means that when we come to this conversation, we can't just say, "That's too hard for me. I'm out." Humility will often require us to be uncomfortable. Being humble in these conversations means that we can admit when we're wrong or that we have messed up. It means we stop showing up to the ta- it means we stop showing up to the table as if we have everything to say and nothing to learn. Third, we must speak about race locally. Some of us need to realize that we argue more with a character in our minds than with a person in our, pre- our presence. In other words, um, we project a national conversation onto one person and speak to them as if they hold every belief that we find objectionable. But we shouldn't do this, nor do we need to do this. We may not be able to influence our entire church or our entire world, but we can influence the people at our dinner table. We can influence the people on our school board. We can influence through many conversations, um, just the people in our communities. Let's talk with real people where God has placed us. Don't take these things that are happening nationally and necessarily assume that they're happening all over in your church or in your home address. Just bring them locally to the people in front of you. The third way we can talk about race is just with kindness. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious. No one's sin can ever justify sins towards them. Once more, these days, when everyone is outraged about everything, kindness is really radical. How did Joseph speak to his brothers who sold him into slavery? He told them, Do not fear and I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Like this is radical kindness. And this is what scripture tells us to do. Fourth, we must speak prayerfully. Is there not something in the matters of race that should lead us to confession and petition and thanksgiving or lament? Is there not something that causes us to see the poverty of our own resources and the abundance of God's? Maybe talking to someone about these matters would be easier if we talk to God more. That is perhaps maybe why we have such a trouble talking about these, um, th- talking about these conversations is because we pray so little about them. The Bible commands prayer. Church history commands prayers. Pastors know about prayer, and Christians agree on prayer. That is, we might have a disagreement on a host of other issues regarding race, but all Christians agree that we rely on God in prayer. So we speak about it prayerfully. Fifth, we speak about race justly. We should talk about race justly. And the reason I mention this is because it's easy to get to have a negative goal when it comes to race in our conversations. Many believers simply don't just, do not just want to be, sorry, do not want to be racist, but don't want to negatively avoid what we shouldn't be. We should try and be positive. We want to be advocates for those who don't have a voice. We want to speak about what is right and not just avoid speaking what is wrong. How did Paul Solomon put it? The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. You can find that in Psalm 3730. Silence can often be wisdom, but silence can also be sinful. And we can see that in Ecclesiastes 3.7 on your packet. Lastly, we speak about race patiently. The first characteristic of love listed in first um, corinthians 13 is that love is patient so let's not listen to one another only to respond or correct but to understand and understanding usually takes time keep in mind that there was a time on any given topic that you were in the dark that you were ignorant and that people were patient with you remember that time or get a, go around an older saint in your church an older brother or a and witness their patience and learn from them. And there are so many other ways in which we can learn and talk about race that I did not mention here. I'm pretty sure there's like in the book, there's a list of like 15 options. I only picked seven. There are so many ways in which we can grow to have these conversations biblically. So there's no secret sauce. Um, What I've tried to do is really show us with our Bibles how we can speak Christianly to other people, how we can love other people so that and i really do pray that god will give us the grace to do so and i really have hope that he will sadly i don't have a fun resolution or a happy resolution even for the rest of the stories that i shared with you guys we'll have to use our imaginations to figure out how those conversations have ended but i do have hope that we all continue to pursue having these conversations well and with unity we have been equipped lord willing and have been convinced to talk about race We've learned why it's hard to talk about race, how we can be overwhelmed with the task, and how to practically live out the gospel. So as I close, I want to pray and ask God to help us in these conversations as they arise and as we seek to love those who are around us. So I'm going to pray and then we're all done. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this conversation, Lord. I pray that it was a blessing. I pray that it was a help, Lord. Um, I pray that you would really help us to meditate on your word and what you say about your image bearer, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to continue to see how we are made in the image of God. And we look forward to hearing the talk about how we are restored in God. And so, yeah, I pray that you would bless the rest of this time. In your name I pray. Amen.